What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 19 of the Deep Ball Diamond Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Palo. And today, I'm going to be recapping both the ALDS and the NLDS series, as well as giving you guys a preview for the ALCS and the NLCS coming up. Uh, first, we're going to start in the American League. And we're going to start with the Boston Red Sox, and they were able to defeat the Tampa Bay Rays in four games. Uh, a lot of people saw this as an upset myself. I didn't even see this coming. I didn't even see the Red Sox getting into the position. I thought that the Yankees would beat them in that wild card game. But you know what? The Red Sox were the better team that day. Uh, they got to Garrett Cole early. They were able to weather the storm. And really, their pitching was the name of the game that day. I know Nathan Eovaldi pitched real well. They pulled them a little early in that game. But uh, they, made, they made a huge play throwing Aaron Judge out at the plate. And aside from that, they were able to keep the Yankees offense silent. I mean, aside from John Carlos Stanton, who was absolutely scorching hot at the plate, really no other Yankee gave them any chance. I know Rizzo hit the home run in that game as well, but um, yeah, just not a great offensive performance from the Yankees, but you tip your cap, I guess, to Boston in a sense, you know what I mean? They were a team that really wasn't even expected to be in the playoffs. You know, the Yankees swept them late in September in Fenway, and you're thinking, oh, the Yankees um probably beat them in the wildcard game. But no, hats off to Boston. You know what I mean? They fought in that game. Definitely a tough pill for me to swallow being a Yankees fan. But, uh, yeah, moving on into this ALDS series, you know what I mean? Boston, again, they get off on the wrong foot here. They lose in that first game. Shane McClanahan, the lefty, the rookie on Tampa Bay, looked real well through five innings. And maybe you're a little nervous if you're a Red Sox fan in that game. You know what I mean? Randy Rosarena hit a home run and stole home in that game as well. And you're like, oh, boy, man. Playoff Randy's back. I mean, the guy's just unbelievable. It's just There's certain people that the moment's just never too big for. And Rosarena, through the first two postseasons that he's played for, it's just obviously the case. You know what I mean? The guy's just such a good, pure hitter that he can adapt in any environment, stuff like that in the postseason when the lights get bright and it gets so hard to hit or something, clearly a Rosarena is not phased at all. But the Red Sox, like I said, they went down 1-0 in this series and they had Chris Sale going on the mound of game two. And normally you'd be like, all right, we got Sale, you know what I mean? He's a stopper. But Sale's kind of struggled this year. Obviously coming back from that Tommy John surgery didn't look great down the stretch and stuff like that. I think a lot of people would say that Eovaldi is like the ace right now on Boston, which also makes sense why he would start in that wild card game too. You know what I mean? I know Sal did pitch the last game of the regular season, but besides the point, I think a lot, everybody would argue right now that Evaldi is pitching better than Sal. It's not really a debate. And I mean, game two in the first inning, Boston gets on the board with two quick runs and Chris Sale gives up a five spot. Jordan Luplo hits a grand slam off him. And right there, you're thinking, oh boy, Tampa Bay, man, they just beat you game one. Now game two, they're off to a hot start. This is a perfect, like, almost spot if you're Boston to kind of like roll over and die. And they did the complete opposite. They came out swinging. They dropped 14 runs in this game on a Tampa Bay bullpen. Obviously that has been so good all year and stuff like that. Kike Hernandez went five for six, three doubles and a home run, which was kind of really the start of his scorching hot postseason and really how good he's played all series. I mean, if there was an MVP of this series, it would have for sure been Kike Hernandez. But yeah, I think that was the huge turning point in this series for sure. Because again, when you like go down early in a game like that, right when even you got on the board, you give up that lead, it's almost like it would have just been so easy for the Red Sox to be like, all right, it's just not our series. You know what I mean? The Rays are superior and stuff like that. But no, they were able to really take down that Rays bullpen, really ride on the strength of their offense that's been there all year. You know what I mean? That offense has got them to this point, and they continued with that. And like I said, splitting two games, the two games in Tampa was huge. It's essential. And then they go back to Boston, two thrillers. Uh, the first one, game three, they went in 13 innings thanks to Christian Vasquez's walk-off home run, two-run shot that was. And then game four, 
They get up early in that game. They blow a five-run lead, and again, it's almost like the Rays. You know what I mean? They're coming back again. Who knows with that? But Kike Hernandez again decided that he had to have he had one more little show for the Rays. It's a walk-off to win the series. You can argue that Boston caught a lucky break with that ball hitting off of Hunter Renfro when Kevin Kiermaier hit that double, so the run couldn't score, and then ultimately in the bottom of the inning. Christian Vasquez hits that two-run home run to win the game. You could even say that, oh, Boston got to McLennan early. Like, if McLennan's more comfortable coming out of the pen and stuff like that, then maybe they don't get uh, – they don't score that uh, those five runs early or four runs, whatever they tag McLennan for in that game, and they don't end up having a chance to walk it off because they just lose in that game. But you, you can't do it. You just got to tip your cap to Boston again. I think one of the biggest things um, – in this series, in a sense, was that Boston was able to get to Tampa Bay's bullpen a lot. And obviously, Tampa Bay is going to rely on their bullpen. You know what I mean? I mean, they really only had one true starter. Shane Baz wasn't really too, too effective this series. Uh, Patino wasn't able to give you like a real start because he was used in relief here and there. So really, you're seeing a lot of these guys like back-to-back days. And, like It seemed like every single reliever on the race threw at least three out of the four games. So when that's happening and stuff like that, these guys on Boston, they're going to start adjusting to these relievers. And I think maybe that's one area where like the bullpen strategy, in a sense, when it comes to the postseason, kind of backfires on you because you're just so used to having these like relievers come in and you see them, you know what I mean? Maybe once a series in a regular season game. So one every three days, and you know what I mean? You don't see it maybe for a couple weeks if you're a divisional phone, stuff like that. But when you're playing in a postseason in a span of a week, a week to 10 days, and you're seeing the same pitcher five times, like it's, you know, something has to give at that point. And I think that's maybe one thing that Tampa Bay will look at. And yes, these analytics and stuff like that of, oh, a guy can't, like a starting pitcher can't face the order three times or all oh, the starting pitcher can only go three. Like it, it might have to go out the window because you have to start looking at this fact of what happens when my relievers who now are being exposed in games sometimes because one, maybe they're a little tired and two, they're pitching three straight games to the same hitters and stuff like that. Like Kike Hernandez, Rafael Devers, like these guys are professional hitters, Alexander Bogarts, like these guys are big time hitters that when you start seeing the same pitchers over and over and over again, you're going to start to adapt and you're going to start to crush the ball. So honestly, I will give the tip of the cap right here to Boston. Alex Cora, I thought, did a good job managing his bullpen in a sense that I, the, the Boston Red Sox just don't really have like a crazy good reliever in here. I know like Brazier was one of their like better guys in the regular season. And he completely blew up in game four. They got lucky to survive that. But Matt Barnes has been all banged up. I know he wasn't even, didn't even make the roster originally, was then put on it as an injury replacement. But you had like Pavetta giving them good innings of relief, Tanner Houck. I mean, these two guys are starters predominantly all season and stuff like that. And they're giving you three innings here, two innings there. And um, Whitlock is another good arm out of their pen. I mean, it kills me that the Yankees let him get away from nothing for nothing. But he's developed into a nice little story there. So, yeah, I guess you tip your cap as well to Alex Cora there. And they did a good job. And Boston ultimately moves on to the ALCS. And, I mean, you could argue, like you said, that Boston was the fourth best regular season team in the American League East this year. You really could. You could make the argument that Toronto was better than them, that even though the Red Sox beat the Yankees in that wild card game, that the Yankees were better than them. But it doesn't matter. They get they get hot at the right time. They're a streaky lineup. And, you know, at the end, these guys are clutch. You know what I mean? They show up. They don't. They didn't have. They're not going to really normally have games where they just go quiet uh, innings one through nine. So hats off to the Red Sox. They definitely surprised me. I think, like I said, I think they need to maybe get a couple 
like somebody in that bullpen needs to really step up if they want to take that next step forward. And they definitely need Chris Sale to get on the right track. But uh, I'll kind of get into that when I give you my preview on the next series. And they'll be playing the Houston Astros where because the Houston Astros just beat the Chicago White Sox in a four game series. I was kind of mentioning as much as I didn't want to take the Astros in that series. It just seemed that like maybe for the White Sox, the moment would just be a little too big for them. And in a sense, the White Sox did play a lot of games this year against that AL Central, which was inferior competition. There's no doubt about it. And I guess you could say maybe that's what was their downfall in a sense, because the Astros, they just overmatched the White Sox. So that lineup, first of all, one through eight on Houston is unbelievable. I mean, you have guys like, Kyle Tucker and Yuri Gurriel hitting like six and seven in that lineup. Gurriel was uh, the AL batting title. Uh, they won the AL batting title this year. And then Kyle Tucker, too, was an unbelievable hitter. I had a really bad April, but since then, it's flat out rate. I say one through eight, too, because Maldonado really doesn't give you anything in the nine spot. Great defensive catcher, but offensively, good for a home run here and there. But you know what I mean? I don't even think he's over 200 and stuff like that. But yeah, the Astros, you know what I mean? Right off the get-go, they got to Lance Lynn in game one. And they really set the tone, if you ask me, for the rest of the series and stuff like that. Game two, they go down a little early. And I mean, the, the White Sox bullpen, another area where you could circle and you're kind of a little disappointed with them this playoffs. Kimbrell gives up a home run in that game in a, uh, I think it was a seventh, seven run, seventh inning. I mean, Bummer was tough out of the bullpen. Later in the series, Kopech, uh, again, when you're when your guys just don't step up, you know what I mean? It just isn't them. And after, after that seven-run seventh inning by the Astros in game two, I mean, you kind of felt that the series was on its way over. I will give credit to the White Sox. They did come out in game three. They won a slugfest. Um, that's what they had to do, like you said, because their pitching just wasn't really there this series. And, again, just another exhibit of that, Carlos Rodon in game four gets a little roughed around early, has to leave the game. In a game where they hit a home run early, Gavin Sheets hit that off Lance McCullers, and that was the only run of the day. The White Sox, uh, the White Sox gave up ten unanswered runs to the Astros, highlighted by an Altuve three-run jack in the ninth inning to kind of seal it. White Sox, I'm sure they will be back. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, they're way too talented. Like Luis Robert finally will get healthy next year. Aloy Jimenez, hopefully. Like if they could play a full season with this core, I'm very excited to see what they can do. But yeah, I just think, like I said, the moment was a little too big for them. And at the end of the day, this Houston Astros lineup is just too, too pesky, man. The Astros also, similar to the Red Sox, they have to figure out their pitching situation, especially in their bullpen. But I, I mean, their lineup goes toe-to-toe with anybody in baseball right now. And especially, again, like these guys, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Gurriel, they've been on these teams in the playoffs now forever. You know what I mean? Really, since that 2017 team, five straight league championship series appearances for the Astros. Say all you want about their cheating. I, you know what I mean? I'm not, I, one of the, I hate the, I, I, I don't like the Astros at all, man, but and they just continue to win and they continue to prove people wrong. They play with the chip on their shoulder. They embrace the hate almost. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I was impressed with what the Astros were able to show. Again, you almost like kind of like they kind of flop, flew a little bit under the radar in the first half. And then the second half, obviously, like, all right, maybe they are one of the better teams in this American League. And they hope that that offense can slug them to another World Series appearance. Flipping the script a little bit into the National League. The first series that I'll talk about here is the Atlanta Braves versus the Milwaukee Brewers. And I'll put my hand up here. 
I missed on this series prediction. I thought that the Milwaukee Brewers would be victorious. I thought the three-headed snake of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta would ultimately be enough to put them over the edge. And I thought that the hitting, it, yes, it wasn't good. I did acknowledge that. I thought maybe Christian Yelich would step up, and I thought they'd get a couple timely hits. I thought they'd win a couple games 2-1. I thought maybe they'd squeak out a 3-1 win or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought maybe the Braves would get one because their offense would explode because that offense, it's incredible to their lineup, but it didn't happen. The Braves lose the first game in, again, a way that I would predict. Corbin Burns shoved on the mound, and after Burns in game one, the Brewers back-to-back games get shut out. Max Freed is proving that he's one of the best young pitchers in baseball, and he continues to step up on a big stage. Last year, he was real good in the playoffs for the Atlanta Braves. And with Mike Soroka going down, they kind of had to turn to an ace. Freed obviously was so good for them in that regular season in 2020, and he was the guy as well in the playoffs in 2020. Uh, late in that thing, it's a shame that they weren't able to hold on to that series that they had against the Dodgers. 2021 comes around, struggles early on in the year, goes on the IL, comes back, has a real good second half. And like I said, he shoved against the Milwaukee Brewers in game two. Kind of, again, that's a huge pivotal game. When you go down 1-0 on the road, you have to win that game too. Because then if you could go back to two more at your place, you feel real confident. And that's exactly what the Braves were able to do. And Jock Peterson, the turning point in the series, game three, fifth inning, hits a three-run home run off Adrian Hauser to give the Braves a 3 nothing lead. And that's all they would need that game. And I bring up it as a turning point too, because earlier in the inning, in the top half of it, the Braves got out of a second and third and one out jam. And in that, the Milwaukee Brewers pulled Freddie Peralta. Craig Council went to a pinch hitter. He went to Dan Vogelbach. He thought his best chance of winning that game was maybe a base hit there. And he thought the bullpen would be able to piece it together. The Braves get out of it. Ian Anderson does a great job getting out of it. And then what happens? The Milwaukee Brewers, they just don't score again after that Jack Peterson home run. 18 straight innings they went in games two and three with that. Even more if you extend, actually, into games one and four. But the offense, it just wasn't there. And in game four, you thought maybe four runs would be enough for the Milwaukee Brewers. But Freddie Freeman had other plans. In the eighth inning of this game, Freddie Freeman, one of the best hitters in baseball, reigning NL MVP, goes opposite field off Josh Hader, the best one of the best closers in baseball, to give the Braves a 5-4 lead. Will Smith shuts the door, and the Atlanta Braves' experience prevails. They were there last year, and again, they will be going to the National League Championship Series. A couple of things that I'll highlight again in this series. Rowdy Telez had four of the six RBIs for the Milwaukee Brewers in the four games. Both came on two on two run home runs. He hit one in game one to give them the, their two runs of offense, and he hit one in game four, which actually gave them the lead. That was off uh, – who Oscar Yanoa, and besides that really two-run home run off Yanoa in game four, the Braves' bullpen was unbelievable all series. I mean, they didn't, their big dogs did not give up a run in that bullpen. You have Will Smith down there. Um, Luke Jackson is one of their other relievers. Uh, and Matzik, Tyler Matzik, who's been a real good story for them these past couple of years, the lefty down there. They pitched in every single game and did not give up a run in about four innings of work. So, if, if you want to look at something where the Braves offense, you'd think maybe would have to slug their way to a couple of victories. The pitching staff says, no, we, we understand that this Brewers pitching staff is real good. So, you know, we, we got you this series. Just give us enough and we'll hold the, them down. And they for sure did. I think it's a sour note for the Brewers. I thought that 
this team honestly couldn't run the table. I thought they just needed a couple timely hits. And at the end of the day, you don't get it. But that's what happens when you get into the postseason. When you get into this postseason, the pressure gets – it just becomes so tough to hit. You see – I see – I have a firsthand seat of it every um, – like 2019 and 2020. I just see it with the Yankees all the time. These guys can be so – even this past year – these guys can be so good in the regular season and you know how good of a hitters, how good of hitters they truly are. But then when it comes fall on the calendar, man, and these guys are playing with the backs against the wall, sometimes the pressure just gets to, to be too much. So it's a shame, like I said, that the Brewers season ends on this note, but uh, congratulations to the Braves, a team that lost Mike Soroka, who was their ace of that staff. They lost Ronald Acuna Jr., who is a top three player in the National League. He is their best player. And Marcelo Zuna, who had some off-the-field issues. So to lose those two guys from your lineup and, again, your best starting pitcher, a lot of people would say the Braves shouldn't be here. But uh, you got to be real impressed with them. Obviously, they overcame that deficit in the NL East in the second half beating out the Phillies and the Mets. So good for the Braves. And they're going to be real happy because they have a rematch with the 2020 World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. Like I said, those two teams met off in the NLCS. And now will be a rematch again because the Dodgers first were able to defeat the St. Louis Cardinals in a great wild card game, a thrilling 3-1 victory that came in the hands of a, a Chris Taylor walk-off two-run home run. And again, that's just... Such a Dodgers thing, man. That's prototypical Dodgers. They have all these guys on their team. Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Will Smith, Justin Turner. And who's the one that sends them to the next round? Chris Taylor. He's been such a good story. Used to be on the Seattle Mariners back in the day, like 2016, stuff like that. Kind of faded out with them at a couple rough years. The Dodgers pick him up in like 2017. He was a part of that team that went on that run. And ever since he's been there, all he's done is hit. I believe he was an all-star this year as well, too. So hats off to Taylor. Good year. Definitely did struggle towards the end of the year. But, I mean, in a big moment and stuff like that, off Alex Reyes, he got a hanging slider. and He definitely made him pay. Although I did, I did really want to see Albert Pujols win that game against the Cardinals and send them home. I thought that would be such a fitting, like, how can you not be romantic about baseball moments? You know what I mean? If Pools is able to send his former team home, but the Dodgers are okay with them. I'm sure Pools is okay with not sending the Cardinals home because ultimately the Dodgers were able to pull that game out. The Cardinals did also fire their manager, Mike Schilt, which I think is a little crazy. If you ask me, I think it's understandable in a sense because Sometimes organizations and managers, you know what I mean? They just have different philosophies. And certain times when you don't see eye to eye, maybe it's best to just part ways instead of trying to make those two butting heads work and seeing which one wins out. So, yes, it's a shame that you can lead a team on a 17-game win streak late in the year and overcome that deficit in the second wildcard spot. The Cardinals were an awesome story this um, past season, especially in the second half. But I'm sure Schilt will get another chance to manage somewhere because of how good he did down the stretch. So the Dodgers, like I said, they were able to win that wild card game. And then they moved on to play the Giants in this NLDS, which was one of the best series, if you ask me, I've seen in quite some time, especially a five-game series. I know we were robbed of that seven-game series. Brock was saying on last episode, it's a shame that it's not a seven-game series. And it really was, but it didn't disappoint at all. From the start, you knew it was going to be good. You got Logan Webb on the mound in game one against Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller has been one of the best postseason pitchers in the last couple of years. And Logan Webb went toe-to-toe with him. Seven and two-thirds innings. 
oh, he didn't give up a run in that game. He was unbelievable. And it was kind of like, oh boy, like, you know what? The Giants, that 100, those 107 wins that they had in the regular season, they're no fluke. They're here to play in the playoffs. And they would just set the stage for an awesome series. Game two, the Dodgers did a good job. They were able, like I said, like I mentioned in the Red Sox series and like I mentioned in the Braves series as well, Those, all three of these teams, including the Dodgers, they were able to avenge a game one loss and win game two on the road so that you come back to your place and you give yourself a shot with two games at home, maybe to either win one or both. While the Braves and the Red Sox were able to win both at home, the Dodgers were unable to. They lost game three, one nothing on a solo shot by Evan Longoria off Max Scherzer. If you would have told me in 2013 that Evan Longoria of the San Francisco Giants would hit a home run off Max Scherzer of the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, in a playoff game, I would have said, you're crazy. Like, I mean, these guys in my child, you know what I mean? Like back then, they were literally the face of the franchise for the Rays. And Scherzer was dominating people on the Tigers. And then even Scherzer goes to the Nationals and dominates people. Longoria falls off a little bit on the Giants. But then, oh, wait, the Giants are good against so that means Evan Longoria is a lead again. So really an awesome thing, if you want to say, in baseball, to see those two guys still on the biggest stage, really succeeding. I know Scherzer, obviously, that was just one blemish all day in game three and stuff like that. He was great, but Longoria got the best of them and the Giants bullpen all series really. But I remember like that game specifically, they were unbelievable. Tyler Rogers, he throws real funky. He's a side armor. He's just, again, he's just so tough to hit because of how he's able to deceive hitters and change his arm angle and stuff like that. When you're seeing a guy like, I think who started in that game, I think that was game four was game three was Alex Wood. So, you know what I mean? You're seeing a, a funky left-hand delivery from Wood. Then you go to another righty or something like that. Then you go to Rodgers and stuff. It, it's just hard for these pitchers to adjust. Tip your cap to Gabe Kapler and Andrew Bailey, actually, the pitching coach over there, former all-star back in the day with the um, the Oakland A's. You're a good closer and stuff. So he's obviously figured something out. That bullpen's been good all year and stuff like that. Another guy out of that bullpen, uh, Camilo Doval, I mean, he's been like up and down this year because of control issues. I was going to say, I was like, the fact that I had not heard more, I, I heard of him. I didn't really get a chance to watch him pitch as much with them being a West Coast team and stuff like that, with him being shuttling up and down between the minors and the MLB. But he took over the closer role in September and boy, is this kid electric. I mean, he comes out throwing 101, throws a mean 88-mile-an-hour slider, and he was able to shut down the Dodgers' bats in Game 3. And you see a guy like that come in the game, be like, oh, boy, uh, we're gonna, we might have a tough trouble scoring. But the Dodgers always had an answer for it, similar to how they answered in Game 2, Game 4. The Dodgers were able to answer, setting us up for our Game 5 winner-take-all do-or-die matchup between two 109-win teams at the time. And I mean, again, this was one of the one of the best baseball games that I've watched in quite some time. Uh, first, I, I'll tip my cap to Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts goes four for four in this game. Again, a guy who gets traded from Boston after winning a World Series there comes over to the Dodgers, wins a World Series there. He definitely wants more. He's out for blood and stuff like that. One of the best players in baseball. Again, had a tough regular season, but he was able to really rise to the occasion in this game. But was Mookie Betts even the biggest story in this game? Crazy as it is, he wasn't. You had Logan Webb pitching again for the Giants. And what does he do? He almost matches his game one performance. He goes seven innings again, only gives up one run this time. And 
thankfully for him, he got off the hook with a loss thanks to Darren Ruff, a guy who's been playing overseas the past couple of years, hits a home run off Julio Urias, who was actually a reliever in that game. So it sets you up went through like seven innings in this game. It's a 1-1 game. You get the Dodgers are getting a couple guys on. Uh against uh, Tyler Rogers, actually. They bring in Doval out of the bullpen. Doval gets him out of a big jam in the top of the eighth, and then Doval comes out there for the ninth, gets into a little bit of trouble, and who steps up to the plate in one of the biggest moments of the season? Cody Bellinger, a guy who has been a massive disappointment. Dodgers fans can say all through the regular season. Had a nice hit in game two as well to kind of pull away in that game, and Cody Bellinger puts all of the haters to sleep with a huge RBI single to extend the lead to 2-1. And it was just that feeling, really for the whole game, it seemed like as it started to play out, it was almost like whoever really scores, like you you almost thought that that one run that the Dodgers scored in the top of the six was going to hold up. And then they come right back with that rough home run. And then from that point, it was like, all right, whoever scores one more run next is winning this game. Like it was so interlocked with that. But Cody Bellinger, like I mentioned, a guy who's had such a tough year, he just seems to come around in these clutch situations in October. I know last year he had that huge home run against Chris Martin in Game 7 of the NLCS, even a couple years back in Game 7 against the Milwaukee Brewers in 2018 that ultimately sent them to the World Series, and that game had a huge home run. So Bellinger just seems to live for these big moments. He got a nice pitch from Doval that was a mistake and really made him pay for that. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, um, Max Scherzer comes jogging in from the bullpen, looking to get a save. The guy who started in game three took the loss in game three. And Chris Bryant gets on early on a Justin Turner error. Uh, Lamont Wade pinch hits a guy who's had so many late game heroics for the Giants. And you're almost like, all right, the Giants, this story that they've had all year, how good it's been and stuff like that. How fitting would it be to hit a walk off of Max Scherzer? Wade goes down on strikes. Come, It all comes down to Wilmer Flores. And Wilmer Flores checks his swing up with two strikes. And, I mean, the first base umpire, he's going to have a lot of Giants fans coming at him because the first, to, to call a guy out on a check swing to, like, end the game if it's, like, not like you know what I like if he would have like even if he goes there man and you don't call him like it, it's like a one two count or whatever like it's not like it was a three two bases loaded pitch where it's like if you call if you make the wrong I, I, it's just it was it bewilders me that an umpire there misses that call at first I was like all right maybe he did go and then they showed the replay then and again and I mean it was just so obvious if you ask me I don't think Wilmer Flores was even close to going to get punched down to have your season end on that note is on. It's so sour, man. You feel for Giants fans. You feel for the Giants players, of course, but they should really hold their head high. I know we shouldn't be giving out consolation prizes and stuff like that for finishing um, with 109 wins in the regular season. But like I said, with the expectations I was around this ball club, man, I mean, the Giants exceeded them and then some. To go toe-to-toe with the Los Angeles Dodgers is no small feat. That series almost felt like it should be the World Series. And I think a lot of people like you said, would say that the Dodgers or whoever, a lot of people going into that series were saying that whoever won that series ultimately is going to win the World Series. And I kind of have the same feeling again, because we we saw the best of the best and they went toe to toe and they gave it their best and stuff like that. So you could almost say whoever, like the Dodgers right now, because they've 
really faced off. Like they're not going to face a better team than the Giants, if you ask me, in my opinion. And especially how well the Giants were playing too. It wasn't like you got the Giants on a couple off days. The Giants were playing the best of the best, and the and the Dodgers were able to rise to the occasion. A team that maybe you thought, all right, they won their World Series last year. Maybe they got a little bit of that World Series hangover, but. It doesn't seem to be the case. They seem hungry for another one, but we're going to have to wait and see if uh, that's possible. So with that, I'm going to bring it in to our predictions part of the show. I'm going to give you guys kind of a rundown of what I think about these two championship series matchups. Now, by the time you're hearing this, uh, the first game of the ALCS will be or have already played. So I will start with the ALCS where the Houston Astros are facing off against the Boston Red Sox and the Astros actually have a one nothing lead in the series. They won Friday night 4-3 to thanks to a Carlos Correa late home run. I mean, Correa, he boy, did he pimp that home run. He stares at it a little bit, points to the Houston bench, points to his wrist, says it's my time and stuff like that. But the Astros, who are missing Lance McCullers for this series, were able to pull out a pivotal game one, if you ask me. I think they needed this game a lot more than Boston due to the fact that they're a little weak now in their starting rotation. And Boston, if you ask me, didn't throw their best pitcher right now. I think Chris Sale is a better pitcher than Nathan Eovaldi. But Nathan Eovaldi starting game two against Luis Garcia, who kind of struggled for the Astros in that game three against the White Sox. So I think the Red Sox have a huge advantage here game two. So they definitely, I think the, like the Astros couldn't afford to fall one game in the series going against Eovaldi in game two and stuff like that. But uh, my outlook for the rest of the series is this. Obviously, Boston if you, needs to win game two and stuff like that. But with Nathan Eovaldi on the mound, I expect them to win that game. I think that as good as this Houston Astros lineup is, Boston is just as good. I know in this game, the first game, Kike Hernandez really put the team on his back, hit both uh, home runs. So they're definitely going to need somebody else to step up. Obviously, Bogart's endeavors, like these guys are so capable of it. I have no worries about that. I think the biggest part of this series comes down to the bullpens. Both of these teams, if you ask me, don't have anything special in the bullpen. They don't even have a complete shutdown reliever. I mean, Ryan Presley of the Houston Astros, their closer, is probably the closest thing that we'll see to it. I think it, it's going to come down to how Dusty Baker versus Alex Cora in that department. In the in the division series, we saw a lot of Alex Cora going to guys like Tanner Houck and Nick Pavetta in the middle innings, even um, Garrett Whitlock. So I'm interested to see about how he's going to mix and match those guys, and especially like as this series gets on, you know what I mean? Cora only had to do it for four games against the Rays, but this one, if it gets into six, seven games, you know what I mean? You have that extra game that you that you really have to start an extra guy here. So Houck or Pavetta probably has to make a start this series. So how do you adjust with them now not being in your bullpen? So I'm definitely curious to see how that plays out, which um, specific on the Red Sox side of it, and then Houston kind of making up for Lance McCullers too. So if you have down McCullers now, they pitch Valdez game one, you have Luis Garcia going game two. It's like, where do you go from here now? They put Jake Odorizzi back on the roster. Will he get a start? You're wondering if Zach Greinke, a guy who worked out of the bullpen against the Chicago White Sox, if he'll get a go and stuff like that uh, in the rotation. I know he was a little hurt at some point, but yeah, Dusty Baker's got a lot of his mind. I do think the Astros have a better back end of the bullpen. I think Kendall Graveman and Ryan Presley are really better than anybody in the back end of the bullpen that Boston has to offer. So I think, like I said, it comes down to those two managers being able to really mix and match and stuff like that and get out, getting out at important situations. I'm going to side as much as I like. 
I'm going to side with the Astros here. I think ultimately the Astros have a little bit more talent in the top end of their order. And like I said, I think they just have the stronger bullpen and stuff like that. It scares me that Lance McCullers isn't in there. They don't really have a certified ace there without like – I don't feel comfortable with any of the Astros pitchers going into game seven, whereas like a guy like Eovaldi, if they would have to face in the game seven, would be like, oh boy, like that Red Sox for sure have a pitching advantage. But I just think that Boston, like the middle innings are going to eat them apart with who's available in their bullpen. If they start not getting length from their starters, they could be in for a long series. I know Chris Sale too, uh, today didn't give them a ton of it. I don't even think, I don't even think he made it out of four innings. So if you're going to keep going to that bullpen and stuff like that, it's just a recurring theme in these playoffs. It's when you start to expose your bullpen over multiple games. And like as good as the Rays bullpen was all year, you start throwing them so much, you're exposing them and you're just like almost giving them so many chances to get hit. And I think when you have a mediocre bullpen, like Boston will and Boston does, then you're just giving them like you're kind of leaving them out to dry in a sense. Not not saying that Houston's bullpen is any that that much better, but it definitely is better. So I'm going to side with the Houston Astros here. I think they win this this series in about six games. Um, and yeah, they ultimately move on to the World Series. Moving on to the National League, we have a rematch of the 2020 NLCS between the. Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. And my, oh my, I'm sure the Braves want some revenge after blowing a 3-2 series lead last year. Um, It's crazy if you think about how these teams got there. The Dodgers had 18 more wins in the regular season, yet the Dodgers had to play a one-game playoff while the Braves were able to kind of sit on their couch for those extra days. And they drew the Brewers while the Dodgers drew the Giants, who um, won more games, obviously, than the Brewers there. But that aside, these teams are both in this situation. Uh, these t- two teams, again, they love to hit. The, uh, both the, both these lines, top to bottom, are real good and stuff like that. I've mentioned so many times that the Braves have two MVP candidates in their lineup in Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley. But, I mean, it goes way beyond that. Adam Duvall has been a great pickup uh, at, since the trade deadline. Ozzy Albies, of course, has really uh, stepped up and, of course, kind of bounced back. I've having a couple down years. Uh, years past, he's really turned it around again, was an all-star this year and stuff like that. And they got healthy in their rotation. Ian Anderson's back. Like I said, Max Max Freed has been real good. And Charlie Morton's really been their game one starter. I'm curious to see if they're going to switch in between him and Freed. But the Dodgers can match them. I mean, the Dodgers, like I said, I think they have even even better lineup with all those stars in there, even without Max Muncy out, which is just crazy to think of that you lose arguably – uh, Max Muncy was probably hitting like third for them every day or second because of his high on base percentage and stuff like that. It was an all-star too. It, it, it's like you lose Muncy and this lineup, like it doesn't even bat an eye. It's just incredible the amount of depth that they have. Starting pitching too, they have the advantage. Yes, they don't have Clayton Kershaw. Yes, they lost Trevor Bauer, but it's just still crazy how they could try to Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, and Julio Urias. I'm curious to see who they would go to and their fourth thing. Tony Gonsolin, I remember, started in the playoffs last year. Curious if he would be the guy or if they would do a bullpen game. They did do a bullpen game in game five of the NLDS, but they had Urias pitch about four innings in that game. So you might not have that luxury if Uri again, like if Urias is pitching game three, Bueller game one or Scherzer game one, and like Bueller, Scherzer games one and two, who's going in game four? Not too sure. They're definitely going to have to figure it out. Bullpen-wise, I mean, the Atlanta Braves, as much as I don't really, like, I always look at their bullpen, and I'm like, yeah, nobody really jumped off the page. Like, Will Smith doesn't strike me as, like, a shutdown closer. But listen, they did the job against the Brewers. Now, it's not going to be the same lineup that they're facing against the Brewers. These Dodgers hitters are going to come to play. But 
I, I like the Braves bullpen. I like I like what they've done, at least I should say. The Braves bullpen. The Dodgers got a couple flamethrowers, obviously, in their pen. They got uh Gratterall, Joe Kelly, uh Blake Trine and, and Kelly Jansen too has really rebounded. He had a tough, tough stretch in uh the early part of the second half, but he's kind of really overcome that. And he looked real good the other day throwing. Um so I'm I'm stoked for this series. I think that the Braves are gonna come out firing, but in the end, I just think the Braves are just not as talented. I just don't think they're going to be able to overcome losses of Ronald Acuna Jr., of Mike Soroka, and Marcelo Zuna. As good of a story as, like, the Giants have been, it's kind of over, like, shadowed the Braves' story, really, what they're able to do with losing those guys and how they were able to come back and fight for a playoff spot in the second half. And I, I just think they're going to run out of gas here. I think the Dodgers, like I said, going five games with the Giants, yes, maybe you could argue that it was emotionally exhausting, but dude, it just sharpens them. It's just going to get them so much more ready for an NLCS series like this. And with guys like Bueller and Scherzer going games one and two and stuff like that, I think that like in Atlanta, like you don't even like that, that home field advantage doesn't even matter too much because you have one, like, two of the best starting pitchers in baseball. So I, I'm going to side with the Dodgers in this series. It hurts. I, I like the Braves. Of course, I'm a big Ronald Acuna Jr. fan. Obviously, he's not playing. But uh, I think this has a chance to be one of the last games that Freddie Freeman potentially plays in the Atlanta Braves uniform, being that he is a free agent. But I'll take the Dodgers. I think this one maybe runs a little short. I'll take it in five or six games. I, like, I'm that, that's just the way that I'm going. And I think that it could set us up for a potential 2017 World Series rematch between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros. But uh, with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Kind of be on the lookout for an episode coming next week. I know we kind of spent maybe a little too long in between our episodes from uh, previewing the division series and previewing the championship series. So I'm sure to be on the lookout for that. We'll try to get something up in between them. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.